Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Suk Yin Lee, a broadcaster, podcaster, musician, and filmmaker you may know from her 14 years hosting CBC Radio's Definitely Not the Opera, or from her current project, the podcast Sleepover. Her second feature film, Octavio is Dead, stars Sarah Gadden as a young woman trying to understand the father she never knew. It opens this Friday, June 22nd, in Toronto and Regina, and rolls out elsewhere in Canada over the summer. Sukian picked Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, Rainer Werner Fassbinder's 1973 drama starring Brigitte Mira and El Hadi Ben Salem as a German widow and a Moroccan auto mechanic a couple of decades her junior who embark on an unlikely romance. Loosely inspired by Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven Allows, but with additional racial and nationalistic themes that come from its new context, it's a cornerstone of the new German cinema and one of Fassbinder's richest, most emotionally honest works. It's also just as relevant as it was 45 years ago, which is just really, really depressing. This is someone else's movie. When you asked about one of, you know, my favorite films or a film that I really enjoyed, this one just really jumped out at me. I love Fassbinder very, very much. I oftentimes thought that I he reminds me his face reminds me of a feral cat <laughs> I live in a back alley in Kensington Market and there was a period of time where there were a lot of feral cats around and there's one particular cat that really reminds me of Fassbender and um, I always thought that I would get a, his photo on a t-shirt <laughs> I haven't yet but I really out of his films I just love his um sensibility and uh there's a kind of raw quality his sense of community I love his storytelling, and, and out of all his many, 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 many movies, this yeah. one really struck struck a chord with me. Um, there's something about Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, that is so relevant to today. And uh, it has all the qualities that I love in a story. There's a, It's a love story. It's a humanistic story. It's a difficult story. It's a funny story. Um, it's, it's a beautiful story. Yeah, it was really striking it had been i'm gonna guess at least 10 years since i last watched it and well i, I had the blu-ray up on the shelf but i you hadn't. were so lucky and like i'm surrounded by all these blue yeah. there are columns of blu-rays yes. around me this is an amazing den of it's, movies it's where i come to hide from the rest of the world basically and and watching ali you can't do that that was the thing that really struck me this time is the the themes of sort of simmering racism and prejudice and the same expectation. As today. Oh, they're fresh. Oh yeah, my it's... God, they're talking. This is like a movie that was made in 1974. Yeah. In a period of 15 days, I can't like he. Fassbender just thought that this was going to be an exercise and keep it sharpening and honing his skills between uh, two other movies. Mm-hmm. He made this in less than two weeks. Yeah, and, it's, um, it's incredible to think of his. I don't even know. Like, how do you? How do you? reach a point as a filmmaker where you can be that good and work that quickly. Soderbergh does it now, and he still takes a long time. Mm. Uh, this, yeah, I mean, I just, the new German cinema, all, the whole, I, I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. It was sort of a DIY aesthetic, but they're too formal. Uh, the film is, is really just beautiful. And this was the thing that struck me about the Blu-ray, is that how different it looks from the version that I last saw. Uh, even just looking at the trailer on the on the disc, the the colors are bleached and it's an it looks like old film. Mm. And watching it from the new 4K restoration, 
in high def and all of that look it's better than I've ever seen it. Oh my and, god, it's incredible. And richer, right? The characters don't look as despairing or or there's the the version the first time I saw it I think was thirty five millimeter and the version I saw was this kind of bleak Germany after the war. It, it felt like you imagine post war Germany looked. Uh, everyone is sort of recovering. Everyone is trying I mean, trying not to be racist, but at the same time, even the even the lead uh, character uh, Emmy says, "You know, I've always wanted to eat here. It's where Hitler ate." That's mm-hmm. just such a. Such a st- we're gonna ping pong clearly throughout the entire movie, but but it is such a strange aesthetic, and seeing it with the colors brighter and and crisper the way that the filmmakers had all had always intended, because the DP did the restoration, it's how he wants it to look. It was really jarring because it makes it feel, yeah, relevant in a it's way that it completely really... timeless. I watched it on Canopy off through the oh, yeah. the great toronto public library so which Um, is the same restoration yes it is and it's very bright and it's um it's um yeah i mean this kind of timeless quality they're talking about you know this is 1974 and they're referring to the arab moroccan community in in germany as um you know um germans master uh, arab dog yeah um um arabs bombs you know this is the same kind of strife that we see today Mm. and um in terms of uh, the, the story and the content, it really... I, I can think of, like... I think of Fritz Lang's M as another movie that, even though it's silent, it feels so incredibly timeless. It feels like it could be happening today. I feel the same way as this this as well. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. The colors are so gorgeous. Um, I think uh, Fassbender did a lot of the production design. He often did the camera work. He acted in this movie, mm-hmm. playing a horrible role. Yes. Um, Although even this time through, I was surprised that he's the one who stays in the room after the the kids leave. It's true. As though he doesn't know how to behave, so he's not as much of a knee-jerk rager as you would expect. At first, he's kind of... Well, he's... He's um, introduced as an ass. The daughter's... The uh, Emmy, the widow's daughter's husband. Yes, he's lazy, he's home, he's He's taking a sick day. Mean, 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 and disrespectful in every way. Yeah, doesn't like his Turkish boss. But then later on, when we find out that... Emmy is been married to Ali. Yeah, the whole family. The TV gets kicked in. Yeah, uh, everybody leaves in a big huff, but he remains in the end. I mean, I did find that interesting. A few, the surprising characters that were sympathetic, or not even sympathetic, but more um, not so quick to hate. Yeah, and that was the landlord. Mm-hmm. Well, who the landlord's first, son, right? It's the kids. It's all the kids. Uh, it's the shopkeeper's younger wife. Yeah. The landlord's son and the police. The cops are both, yeah, with long hair. It's actually pointed out they're, yeah. they're of a different generation. Yeah. And there's one other character who's um, surprisingly sympathetic uh, when you don't expect it. Oh, blanking on it. Who was that? But it's a uh, shopkeeper's younger wife, the landlord's son, and the, well, I suppose the bar owner. Who doesn't like Emmy, but is okay sort with them being together? Sort of, but she's, she's sort of like me. Yeah, but it's not racially prejudiced. It's more of a rivalry. More, yeah, more jealousy. Uh, and then you have the the constant reminders that, and and this is yeah, the comparison to M makes perfect sense. It's about German society forming. Uh, well, circling the wagons is the wrong uh, is the wrong metaphor, but but creating uh, a wall against anything that is perceived to threaten what is proper, what is right. And the English do the same thing, but 
even less overtly. But the way that everyone's backs come up, the way that everyone immediately just aligns themselves against this couple who we don't get to really understand from the inside out. We just see how Emmy feels. Even Ali is sort of a cipher for the first half of the film. But the societal commentary watching the apartment block form against her, watching the co-workers isolate her, right up until everybody simply decides that they can live with it. The, the, the weird practicality of, of the German soul in 1974, that's the, the thing that we're seeing again now, but throughout the world. We're seeing it in, in England with Brexit. We're seeing it in America with Trump, obviously. But yeah, the sameness of it. And in M, they're right. In M, the child murderer should be prosecuted and persecuted and, and alienated. That film is about suspicion, and it uses something about that German implacability. Mm-hmm. But here it's about two people who are isolated because of their connection and the weight of that and the way that everyone else in the movie ultimately just uh, literally stands in opposition more more often than not to what's happening. And, And yeah, there's a continuity, there's a through line through a hundred years of cinema and history and, and the present day that the film still... Yeah, it, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to say it. It hasn't dated, and it's a time capsule at the same time. It really is. I think I think cinema is so much about a reflection of time and place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, arguably the movies of Scorsese seems to be most um, vibrant and, and, and meaningful during the time, like in Taxi Driver era, where, where it did reflect the society. So oftentimes um, movies do reflect a kind of cultural upheaval or cultural reflection of a certain time and place and I feel like this did in 1974 in um, Germany but at the same time it does now in like Toronto (laughs) 2018 Um, but I do love the 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 sort of meeting of I mean basically Emmy and Allie um, society is repelled by them in in a sort of larger political kind of context but also a personal one these two are an aberration to society how can an elderly um, widowed woman um, be take up with a younger Moroccan man an mm-hmm. immigrant like this t- t- it, it is uh, repugnant to to the world around them and yeah. yet it is love and so to see these there's just such a tender heart in, inside it and the woman who plays the part of Emmy, she reminds me a bit of Fellini's wife. Um, there's something immediately your heart—it's just heartrending when when you see her and the two of them together. They're just so, even the way their physicality when they walk from one spot to another, there is a kind of um, uh, directness and a, and a strength to the two of them walking together. Um, there's there's great chemistry between the two of them. I love the way that that the scenes are blocked. There's a, a, the production design is incredible. These tableau settings yeah. and the way the shots are constructed. There's so many, there's so many aspects of the craft of this movie that are that are amazing. Yeah. Well, what, when did you first see it? What was your first experience with it? Gosh, I think I must have seen it. Probably, I can't even remember. It was like over a decade ago, mm-hmm. um, and I think I just saw it on DVD. You know, back when you could rent DVDs, <laughs> and. Um, you know well this is why we're surrounded by them now i'm never giving them up oh my god this do you have this i i really do you have this place insured oh, yeah. are you how i mean gosh the yeah you must these are precious this is like a museum in here 
you know, it's very sad for me not to be able to go to a video store anymore and just walk around and look at things and read backs of covers and so forth and boxes. But here you have beautiful stacks of so many. How many movies do you have here? Oh, I have no idea. Thousands. I really don't know. That was um, ten, like feels like thousands. Thousands and thousands. You have rows yeah. and rows. Well, this and they're is all alphabetically ordered. <laughs> Well, that's because I'm compulsive. It's also the only way to find anything. Uh, but yeah, no, as I was saying, you know, you cover home video for 25 years and you just end up with things that won't be found anywhere else. Do you ever throw any out or do you ever get doubles or what do you, what um, Sometimes I'll, well, I mean, I've upgraded a lot uh, as new films are restored. I've just now, I finally got 4K, so there's that to look forward to. Um, it's, uh, it's endless. I mean, I remember upgrading from... VHS to DVD or from Laserdisc to DVD actually because I had a lot of those. I wow, that lasers are going to be a lot bigger. Uh, they are. There. Well, there's one over there. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, Huge. Yeah, twelve. I mean, they're they're albums basically, and and that was where you could sort of encounter art in film before uh, we had the renaissance of vinyl soundtracks and posters. Um, you could read. I'm glad somebody's archiving this. Yeah. Because yeah. Well, no one will believe us. So it's sort of like, uh, as you maintain these movies um, and and knowing that they could become obsolete, there's this movie that this there's Ali Fury's soul that sort of collapses time and space and retains its relevance. Yeah, and that's you know that's why it's on the shelf, right? That's well, it's, it's on the shelf because Criterion released it, and I have everything. But uh, it's it's a it's an OJ Dart by accident because it captures that moment, but in a way that makes it eternal and also universal and relevant. The, um, uh, the essay in the, in the, uh, in the Blu-ray by Chris Fujiwara insists that Fassbender made this film because he loved All That Heaven Allows so much, mm-hmm. the Douglas Cirque film, and wanted to uh, interpret it, not remake it, but use elements from it. And the way he described it was Fassbender. Uh, described it as the um, a film without the... Uh, sorry, I'm going to get this wrong. He said that All That Heaven Allows was a film that saw the good in people without being disgusted by them like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And Fujiwara said, well, obviously that's not true either because Fassbender shows so much compassion in this film for his characters. He shows them as flawed. He shows them as vulnerable. There's... I mean, the use of nudity is really... So interesting. Yeah. I, I find it just um, <clears throat> very inspiring, the use of nudity. Um, so, you know, there's full frontal on Ali a few times, mm-hmm. and it's always very, Ali. very far away. There's never a kind of, like, exploitative pressing into his, you know, close-ups or anything. Yeah, Much of functional. it is very tableau and very matter-of-fact. Um, even the sex scenes are... F- profoundly incredible you see somebody you know a long shot um through several uh, doors a hallway a door the the bed in the far the far distance the couple coming together in silhouette their naked bodies going into the bed and then holding a pose he does a lot of you can see in in his um in his aesthetic a kind of theatrical mind mm-hmm. so much of it is a sort of theatrical play live theater based sort of it reminds me of those kinds of aesthetics so this notion of simplicity of stillness so many just as you know a, a, a most movies would just get into the bed sheets and all over you know right in there he has them hold an intimate pose um, from a distance and and um, be still mm-hmm. in that and then move again so he's really 
playing with that and so much um you know the neighbors the shopkeepers her friends her family uh passers-by as they look at them you know ali and emmy with scorn and judgment they're oftentimes still and watchful yeah so it really plays with this this uh quality of stillness that is really incredible especially when you're capturing in terms of the sexuality and or you know um the nakedness of the human form a kind of um yeah intimacy and yet a kind of um uh, uh, distance yeah it's a it felt like a form of respect almost to let people be privately um exposed if that makes sense the 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 scene the scene you were mentioning the scene with the sort of the frozen um the frozen couple in bed i just i i this time through i was thinking are they are they whispering to each other is that why they're not moving is there something happening between them that we're not allowed to experience and because it's not ali and and emmy because it's ali and the woman that he occasionally sleeps with the, the bar owner then that maybe makes sense that we don't get to understand it because we're not privy to that relationship at all it exists outside of the film really i mean it was happening before the movie started and will presumably be a factor in their lives after the credits roll it's um it's about placing characters away from the audience in 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 a in a method that sometimes it's from the perspective of other characters and sometimes it's simply Fassbender saying no we're not getting any closer well yeah but also you know in those moments of frozen stillness it requires us as the audience to be in the bed with them Mm -hmm. and to kind of wonder what is going on. And that is ever, that is when you are in bed with somebody, that is what you are looking at the person, you are wondering what is happening. And so it kind of like slows the moment down and demands of the audience to bring their interpretation or their experience to it, which is really quite incredible. Yeah. His instincts are just, uh, this film stands out uh, in his filmography, I think because, partially because it's indebted to, to Cirque, mm-hmm. although it's its own animal, it's it's very very different, uh, but also because it's calmer than most of his other films. I was really struck by that this time. There's one explosion of violence when when someone impotently kicks a television set and then eventually it shatters, which is funny. Now that you know, like on second viewing, once you know what's going on, when you understand how long it's going to take for that screen to shatter, and everyone else just politely watching. <laughs> just makes it funny uh but the first time it's really disturbing it's it's strange and off-putting and it doesn't make a lot of sense and then you understand who that person is especially when he returns the um millie's son uh, sorry emmy's son returns to uh to you know ask her to help out with childcare because in the end there is no sin a parent can commit that won't make their kids eventually realize they still need them i think uh, I that's probably a generalization that's going to offend people in, in dramatic terms. No, even so, that doesn't work either. I'm sure the parents commit lots of sins. I may just cut this sequence. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I roll the wrong way. Um, yeah, I guess I've had a good But there, there is something very provocative there. There is, you know, Emmy gathers her kids to tell them that she's married Ali, mm-hmm. and they're still and quiet and scornful and angry, then turning angry, and then one leaves in a huff, and the other one stands there and tries to kick this television set in but he tries to kick it in and at first you notice he says he kicks it but it doesn't those are pretty strong screens it it doesn't work and then he has to kick it a few more and like it's kind of reminds me of um stray dog the japanese film when you're trying to kill somebody in stray dog it's about 
killing people, not kicking in TV. But they do it in real time where it's not really that easy to kill a person. Yeah. Normally, you know, in movies, you kill them in one fell swoop. In Stray Dog, no, people fight back. So in this case, the TV fought back, and it wasn't so easy for him. <laughs> so we just, just like we have to look at the people in bed, wondering what is the compelling drama unfolding on the bed, on the mattress, we're looking at this man absurdly trying to kick in a television, his mom's TV, mm-hmm. and unsuccessfully. And then finally doing it, and then running off. But finally, when he does do that act of violence, he's sort of rendered impotent because it's taken him so long to like kick it in in the first place. Yeah, everyone and knows. Very awkward. Everyone has seen it. Yeah, it's, it's so much of the movie is about people who um, are being looked at. Yeah. In an unpleasant way, in mm-hmm. a judgmental fashion, by absolutely. people who maybe shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, no, abso- absolutely. I, 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 um, does, I, I, I just um, received correspondence from somebody who is trans, a trans man in northern Ontario, and it's extremely challenging for him to, to live without judgment. I'm sure. And like yeah. hostility, open hostility towards him. I felt the same way when I, you know, a couple summers ago, I was like, I went online to um, see if I could get a, you know, quick getaway somewhere. And I really liked this Airbnb look of a cabin and never judge an Airbnb by the look. It turns out it looked good and it was good, but it was in downtown Barrie. (laughs) There was like, the photos look like they're trees and stuff around but i didn't realize it was in downtown barry yeah um but so then i was like, like okay move the camera two inches to the left and you would have seen a skyscraper <laughs> yeah that's right so i went there and it was nice but you know it's like hour and a half away but i could feel kind of racism towards me that normally would just gonna you know mm. i would never notice and i don't necessarily feel in the streets of toronto but um you know i was with i was with um my friend who's like he's white i'm Chinese and we could feel open hostility towards us so it's a kind of this kind of world of which um, a Moroccan man and a German woman um, it's interracial but also intergenerational the age difference is something Um, else it's um, it's it's looked upon very poorly you know and, and you could think oh that's an antiquated way of being you know you know, Sydney Poitier, and guess, guess who's coming for dinner? We dealt with this a long time ago, but actually it continues to happen anymore. So it almost feels as if there's been a new re-energized um, racism or prejudice to, towards towards uh, couples that are, or people together that are not kind of of the same race, age, what class. Yeah. Like we, I wonder too if it's technology that is making us sort of, adhere to groups a, a group identity and these group identities seem to be bubbles and so this sort of extremism of you know um, career uh, name any possible way you can divide people yeah. it feels like um, those you know those kinds of perceptions are there and yet we, st- we are living in a progressive time yet regressive it's a very curious curious time so i think in that regard this movie as well resonates yeah well i mean i think as far as technology you're absolutely right it's it is it's it's enabled and emboldened the worst of us and it's connected the best of us and i i think that 
if you are particularly invested in the world being the way you want it to be, no matter what your politics or beliefs, you're going to yell louder when it starts to shift away from you. Absolutely. Um, we're seeing it now with progressives and uh, the North American tilt towards uninformed fascist political uh, movements. I just, I can't, I'm still, it's a week after Doug Ford's election and I still don't know how that happened. I mean, I know how it happened, but it's one of those things where, oh, that's right. You just have to remember on a daily basis that the world is going insane mm-hmm. and you have to try to be not insane yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and in, as far as racism goes, God, they've been enabled. They're, they're just, they're, they're feeling confident. Uh, I was, I was at a Seven Eleven two days ago and the clerks who were um, Indian Middle Eastern uh, were being yelled at by a guy as I got in there uh, by a guy who I think had tried to pass off uh, bad gift cards or, or credit cards or something they were they were holding them and he was his his he was trying to explain and then he got louder and louder tall white guy um, maybe in his late 20s and he started he, he defaulted as soon as they said we can't accept this he defaulted to you're on my land and I was just I was aghast um, that that's that's acceptable this open racism and I'm sure it happens every day all the time but mm-hmm. yeah you don't I don't see it in Toronto and or maybe I don't want to or maybe I'm just not in those circles but the the, the default the, the first thing that came out of his mouth as soon as he raised his voice was racist mm-hmm. and possessive and his land like the 711 was somehow bequeathed to him uh, now it's just it's it's horrifying and I don't know that a week ago that would have happened exactly the same way I just you know people this whole make America great again make Ontario great again the, the co-opting of these slogans which are ultimately we want things to be like the way they never really were but we felt like we were in more control that's horrifying to me yeah and I think um, you know there are these overt obvious forms of racism in this case a very verbal extroverted form mm-hmm. but I think in this movie yeah Ali fear eats the soul it's it's about um, you know, glances, uh, very loaded staring, um, um, uh, repressed racism that is equally as powerful as the extroverted shouting type thing. And I feel like that is very common to Canadian society. We tend to like, you know, we're not as um, verbal or explosively verbal as our American counterparts, but there's, it's not like there's a, a huge difference. I think there is a more kind of quiet, you know, seemingly polite manner, but under the surface, there still is all of our, our, there's still all of those tensions that come out in different and more kind of passive aggressive forms. I I ran into Clement Virgo the other day, um, filmmaker of many Love Come Down, Book of Negroes, um, the TV series, and Clement was saying that he's been in the last um, decade doing more and more American television. He's now based in a um, here he lives here, but he also does most of his work in Atlanta. And he's saying, in the states, racism is right up front, or yeah. the volatility of the society. You see, you go to you, you know, get gas for your car, and you see people guns exposed on their sides. It's really right there, boom, in your face that you have to deal with on a moment to moment level. And he was saying here, it's it's equally but it's really repressed down under underneath so mm-hmm. it's harder to to 
to gauge and more um, kind of passive aggressively irritating because you're like, what? What do you mean? But it's like talking around things like white supremacy within institutions is, you know, it's still a nebulous. Com- There's conversation is like, what? Like people don't quite know how to to, to articulate it right. because it's uh, it's more. It's, it's more sort of hidden. Yeah. Well, we're so invested in the idea that we're so nice. Exactly. That we couldn't even imagine interrogating But we're so ourselves. nice, we, we voted in Doug Ford. Ugh, we're morons. Um, <laughs> well, not us, but, but the voters. Uh, the, the... Oh, it's exhausting. It really is. I just... It, how could... We're supposed to learn. We're supposed to learn. The Canadians are supposed to be the ones who figure stuff out from the examples of other bad actors like well, America I mean, electing Trump. We're memory is very, very again. short term. Yeah. You know, people don't. It, I mean, you wonder, like, you kind of wonder how. We're supposed to, like, they say history repeats, and it does because people don't seem to have a continuity to be able to chart what has happened before and apply it to now. We sure. just keep going around. Well, even in, in Ali, the, the, the simmering racism, this is barely 25 years after the end of the war. It's, it's stunning to me to look and see that, oh, these characters, these kids were, they were children. They were around. Um, uh, Emmy's openness is, is, at first she's introduced as not being a real German. That's our first piece of information about her. Someone else says it, and it turns out it's a misunderstanding. She is a quote-unquote real German, but she married a Polish laborer who came right. in during the war. And so she's clearly spent some time being progressive in her own way and open-minded enough to to imagine a relationship with Ali ever before it ever happens. Uh, and the the legacy of the war and the, the you know, Ein Volk racism of Germany in the 40s is very fresh for these characters and they see nothing wrong with repeating it. That's that's the thing that really strikes me. The younger characters seem to be a little less comfortable with it. The cops who immediately play down the racist Hysteria, assumptions yeah. of, of the neighbors and then don't even bring it up when they go to see them, which is a really graceful piece of writing where they refuse to even acknowledge it. They're there. They do the job required. They... And that was interesting to see cops um, having a small mercy. Yeah, German cops, which is not the expectation that anyone has in movies <laughs> ever. Ever. Um, but yeah, they're, they come off as... Not just thoughtful, but they're extending uh, a level of compassion that no one else around these people will. And then there's the scene, as far as you know, your, your comparison of Canadian racism. That that's to me, that's the moment in the restaurant where they're not discriminated against, but they're seated separately. They're the only people there, or there may be other people, but they're the only people in that room. That beautiful shot that frames them within a frame within those doors, and then the the maitre d' is sort of picking at them. He's not giving them any breathing room, but it's more of a class thing than a. Yeah, they don't thing. know the, quite the wine to drink, yeah, so he's like pontificating what, what, what they should be eating. Yeah, you'll be fine with the house aperitif, things like that. And yeah, again, that's the sort of delicate indelicacy that that we do, I think, that Canada does, where you simply assume the other person isn't going to be able to keep up for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... Yeah, that's still going on. That's great. Um, it's it's something that... I don't know. That, uh, we're, again, just to place this episode in time for people listening, um, 
six hours ago, Twitter was talking about Brie Larson's speech at an awards ceremony yesterday where she said that the world needs more film critics who are women, who are people of color, who are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, which makes perfect sense. I get that. There are movies that are being made now. There are movies that were made 10 years ago that were not directed for me. And I saw people pushing back against this on Twitter and just... What did they say? Basically just, you know, we work really hard. It's a, it's a rarefied profession. All the standard oh, yeah. stuff. Like all the gatekeeper stuff yeah, that the you, gatekeeper you do stuff. reflexively. And it's just... The addition of other voices doesn't threaten yours. If you're confident enough in what you do and who you are, how does it harm you to have other people in the same playing field? And, you know, the 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 abstract you i suppose because i'm not i don't feel threatened by a new generation i'm 50 this year there's going to be a new generation that's how it works and it can be whoever wants to write about it if they if they can write well bring it you know i just i i i'm not threatened by the advent of a new wave of anything Mm -hmm. it makes it more interesting yeah there are going to be perspectives that i don't share yeah and that i should probably read about i'm yeah well i mean we've noticed we've seen how um, you know this this industry, and it's not just the Harvey Weinstein's. There, are, it's like indicative of a kind of way in which this entertainment complex spirals out. That um, you know, this is our medium as artists that we put our stories through, and yet so many of the gatekeepers and the sort of infrastructure points us to this other place of which Brie and many others are protesting mm-hmm. so that notion of the gatekeepers the people who the scribes it was always just like 10 pontificating brilliant scribes who would ordain a movie as like good or bad um but those people have a particular view and and i just know like in in my films i tend to write um movies from i have written from a female perspective and sometimes that has been just in within the canadian institution um, covered by men and older guys who are really confounded by the perspective and because they don't understand it, they, they're like, what, huh? And are very critical, which is huge, a huge uh, impactful and unfortunate negative impact on a, on a film. So, like, I, I, I hope for more people to, to write about movies or, yeah. you know. But, yeah, I mean, that idea of... Um, yet to to cling to that which is familiar to us whether it's we're a film critic or um you know any manifestation of of uh perspective of society whenever we're feeling threatened um you know there's a it gets ugly um well it's it's what and the thing that fascinates me or not fascinates me the thing that horrifies me about this resistance in in film is that you know, just I always go back to Ebert's line. It's an empathy machine. It puts you in other people's lives and lets you understand that your experience isn't the only thing available to everyone in the world. That we all respond differently. That we all have. I mean, this Fassbender is a great example for that because stuff like Maria Braun, where you're just plunged into a life that, you know, unless you were there, you were not living that life. That's a perspective that I had never. I think that was the first of his films I ever saw, and it was in film school, and it was really quite shocking and it was fresh too i mean i was there in 87 so the movie couldn't have been more than i guess 17 years old not even that and it was shocking to see a movie that dealt with emotion that way that was as raw and furious Mm -hmm. and at the same time 
so carefully composed. It sort of sets you up for Ackerman's emotional violence in the same way, that European movement that was happening. But with Ali, it's a film about another type of existence, you know, the relationship between a, a lonely older woman. And I don't think she's as old as she thinks she is either. I'm watching it this time, it's like, what is she, 55 at the most? Her kids are early 30s at the... So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's She didn't seem as old. He is probably early 30s. He's probably the same age as her kids, which makes it weird for her for a second. But you're still seeing these two people come together and be open and honest and compassionate and supportive of each other. And it's a life that I can't imagine living because it's also 1970s Germany. But it's a weird, depopulated Germany. Again, this made me think of Ackerman, too. Um, we just did an episode on La Captive a little while ago, which is set in an empty Paris. And here as well, it's as though everyone around them has vacated their space. Uh, they're in a corner staring at them. It's also are, cheaper to make. That's true. <laughs> Apparently, Fassbender could like um, work within the government granting systems in Germany and like deliver economically cheap movies real quick. Yeah. So that's that helps, too, to have unpopulated yeah, environs. <laughs> yeah, shooting at 6 o'clock in the morning so you can catch a, a quiet piazza or something. Yeah. Or Strasse. But, but it's... It works so well for the story to make you feel their isolation, mm -hmm. even before they're isolated. They're always alone in the world. Yeah. I mean, what I love as well is, like, we were talking about the political kind of um, qualities of the film, and, but there's also the personal mm -hmm. political qualities of the film. I love that he um, explores the dynamic power relationship between Ali and Emmy. And even though there are two people that have been that are increasingly moved together especially because society of society's uh judgment negative judgment of them but they're also in alo alone in their relationship there is the power dam dynamic yeah. that unfolds between them that becomes you know they here's emmy who is you know uh just your heart goes out to her but in the middle of the movie you can see how the effects of the society is now changing her perspective of how she sees ali and how she treats her lover which becomes she becomes not great like yeah. there she is a flawed human being who ends up you know treating him in a way that is exploitative just as others have exploited her how incredibly influenced we are by the world around that we can become our own oppressor like we are in danger of treating others as our oppressors have treated us yeah and you can see that play out in that relationship and i i love that he brings it to that level because it feels very real i think um i i and it's so hard to like remove the story from fassbinder himself fassbinder i feel like a lot of his movies were we were talking about criticism critics very divisive movies. People really hated them. Oh, yeah. They loved them. They called them out. Um, he just continued to make stuff. He was volatile. He wasn't the greatest uh, person. Um, and then he was deeply kind of, I'm sure, just a galvanizer of community and um, a big spirit. A lot of people seem to love him and hate him. I mean, um, it seems that he, you know, uh, acknowledges a sort of... Um, political aspects of the movie but then it's not enough to stop there he must go in a deeper kind of microscopic analysis of what is actually transpiring between the two lovers and that is fraught and that is um that is cruel and that is loving and that that, that shares so many dimensions of what 
we, you know, humans seem to, to engage with one another in an intimate level. There are many sort of ways in which we cross one another's boundaries in invasive and and, and, and not nice ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to do it from the perspective, from the witting or unwitting perspective of someone who is bringing everything about the society that her husband has learned to ignore and confronting him with it in their space. Just the scene where she lets her friends touch him. Oh, yeah, the muscles. Talks about his flexing his muscles and everything. And he goes along with it right up to a point where he simply leaves and walks away. But that... The tension in that scene, I mean, and weirdly enough, he's standing next to the new television, so you've got the same framing as the original outburst of her family, and you spend this time just long enough to to really cringe and squirm and, and have the time to realize this is the mistake. This is a terrible mistake she's making, and the movie knows it. That, that, I think that's, that's Fassbender's gift, is the ability to show you when people are making terrible mistakes, but let them make them. There's mm-hmm. no intervention. There's no big dramatic moment. There's no easy excuse provided in the screenplay. We're just trapped there with this terrible decision that could actually destroy this couple. Uh-huh. And then other things intervene subsequently, but this is the moment that you can actually think 20 years from now, she could look back if this doesn't, if they, if they are destroyed by this, she'll think about it and remember, oh yeah, that's when I fucked it up. That's when I actually did this. And everything, like I think of a, a great film title as a title of uh, a story that really describes what it is. Mm-hmm. Alley, fear, eats the soul. This, these, all, everybody in this movie is sort of being eaten by their own fear, be it the people who are around, who are fearful of the outsiders or the um, unorthodox relationship, what that means to them be it the, the lovers singularly, individually, together, the fear of um, you know being killed, being annihilated, um, being surrounded by hatred, and then ingesting that hatred and fear themselves and yeah. having that itself. You know, and, and, and Ali has that as well. He, he uh, collapses from a terrible ulcer in his stomach that is essentially eating him up from the inside. Um, this kind of um, warning of fear eating the soul as being so... Um, plainly spoken right away from the from the top yeah and he's never displayed any fear he's been the one who's been confident and projecting strength so he's just clearly been hiding it and this is what happens but yeah the articulation of it as a as an actual physical response to the metaphor of the movie and the universal commonality yeah. From between all of those people. I, I think it's very interesting, too, that the actor who played Ali at the time was Fassbender's lover. And I find it interesting as well, the um, the movie um, All That Heaven Allows, the Douglas Sirk-inspiring American film that inspired this movie, uh, Rock Hudson, um, you know, a gay actor uh, being in a, portraying a straight relationship, Fassbender himself being bisexual. Um, I love that he is not only in a in a narrative way, but in, in just in living, uh, kind of, um, he seems to reject the notion of identifying his his sexual orientation in one way, shape, or form, or conforming to to the expectations of any particular group. He seems to be just sort of out there in every any way, shape, or form he wishes. And I love that sort of parallel that there is the actor who is portraying Ali in the movie is is Fassbender's lover, and Fassbender's in the film too. There's it's just like the larger um, real world around the film seems very um, fluid and provocative in terms of the couplings and the relationships. Yeah. For, I mean, for all of his 
difficulties and and his mo- occasionally monstrous behavior towards the yeah. people he worked with and you know, loved, he he sees things in a really clear way, and he's able to use the camera in the same way. I think to to yeah to illustrate everything around him by making the movie that he's making. Yeah, it seems. Uh, did you notice some um, like uh, so? There's a, the scene where she's with her coworkers who are cleaning women. And they're oftentimes hanging out in stairwells mm-hmm. of the buildings that they're cleaning in. And when when Emmy is isolated from the women who are judgmental of her, he locks off the shots so that she's sitting on a staircase and the entire frame has a number of vertical bars that are yeah. the staircase um, Yeah, it holds up the rail. banister, but it's also... And, and it's like, she looks like she's in jail. And then he repeats that same tableau when later the women you know, they're kind of like, accept her a bit more. She's like, oh, they kind of like, remember, oh, right, we like her, we can get stuff out of Emmy, and they kind of are less mean to her, but then there's a new woman there, a younger woman who doesn't get paid as much as them, and she's sitting in that exact same stare in the kind of uh, tableau of the kind of jail cell. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he is just referring to this sort of, we continue to, it may be Emmy in this case, but it might be the next person who's going to be marginalized and, you know, um, put into this other box. Um, He does seem to like want to power out of boxes um, and break those boxes. I think you are right. He was quite monstrous in his behavior. There's a lot of drugs, drug consumption. And I think the actor who played Ali ended up, they broke up and, um, him and Fastbender broke up and then I think he I think the two of them did tons of drugs together and then he went on some sort of spree where he ended up stabbing people and then committing suicide it just seems like a very volatile yeah. time where lots of stuff was happening yeah and and weirdly enough that was the thing I was trying to figure out how to lead to it but um, part of this film originates in The American Soldier Right? It's the American soldiers, and I'm going to double check and make sure I'm not screwing up the translation in my head. Yes. Uh, Fastbender's 1970 film, The American Soldier, has a scene where Marguerite von Trotta relates a story of an older German woman who married uh, a foreign man, mm-hmm. and he ended up killing her. Um, the, the, it's essentially the story of this film related as a cautionary tale, uh, but he strangles her in, in, the, in the telling. And he's, I think he's Tunisian. Turkish. He's not from Morocco. So watching this film, if you'd already seen The American Soldier, you might start to recognize elements of it and become very tense. The film doesn't go that way. He's actually given them you know, a happier ending, regardless of whether they stay together or not, because they're both still alive. But then to have his actor, his lover, go off and essentially become that version of the character anyway, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like, or how that must have played. It's just this cosmic irony of, of awful proportions. I don't even, yeah, I don't even know how to address it, but it's there, and it's one of those things that... Yeah, they're, they're just like, um, they're just clues. We don't know what the dynamic of the relation... I think, I have a feeling he probably had big, passionate, intense, violent, and full of love relationships. It just seems like, you know, the, these are not two men who are going to, like, retire married to one another. This is a big, big, passionate relationships. Yeah. And, and heartbreak. You know, the, that... That um, that El Hadi Ben Salem ended up 
committing suicide after they broke up is significant. And that's that Fassbender had two lovers who committed suicide. It speaks to, I don't know, I'm just guessing, a pro- probably quite a volatile yeah. personal life. Yeah. And as you said, you factor in you know, the 70s German drug scene, mm-hmm. that these people were the cutting edge of it. I mean, he's, he made his, his output is <laughs> 40 films, two TV series, four video, 24 plays. That's that's a lot of barbiturates. Yeah, that's a lot of fuel. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, and he I, died in that, you know, after a big drug drug binge. Mm-hmm. Very it's, bright flame. Yeah, it's it's really, and it's remarkable that the films are good enough that they do kind of blot out the personal stuff. And yeah, and I wonder because everything has to be reevaluated now in the context of well, does it take awfulness to produce art and I don't think it does I mean it clearly doesn't there are plenty of people out there who are not monsters who are making great art but in a weird way there's that simmering violence in this film as well which is so calm and no one ever raises their voice um, kind of comes close in the shopkeeper scene and of course you have the scene where someone tries to right, ultimately breaks the television but it's all so poised and, and yeah Ali never gets beaten up you yeah. know in another treatment we, you know we'd see a neighbor getting beaten up or brutalized never mm-hmm. we, we see it all in the realm of polite society yeah which actually then happened as well because there's a feature out on, on uh, the Criterion edition where I'll just read it because it's simpler um, uh, yeah Angst ist Seil auf which is the the uh, uh, my terrible German pronunciation of the actual title of the film, but in 2002, there was a short film made by Shabazz Nashir, uh, and I'm just going to read this right off the back, which reunites Mira, Emes, and Jurgis, the surviving uh, participants of the, of the film, to tell the story based on real events of an attack by neo-Nazis on a foreign actor who was on his way to a stage performance mm. of Fassbender's screenplay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely worth watching. I'm not sure if it's part of the canopy package, but I think mm. it is on Filmstruck for American listeners. And it's on the Blu-ray and the DVD. And it's just, yeah, there it is. This is the the sick soul of, of German's past coming up. And again, a cosmic irony, it's related to this film. It's not directly, mm-hmm. but there's a connection that you can't ignore. Yeah. The things that don't happen in the movie are happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like a... I can't, I can't fully understand how that piece of art can so completely capture that while never directly alluding to them. I mean, obviously, it's it's in the air, it's in the space, it's in the film grain, but it resonates in such a strange way. Yeah, and to think that he shot this movie in 14 days, and it's um, so ambitious and so um, complicated, and it never feels, um, you know, cheaply rendered. It always yeah, feels yeah. very rich. Um, but he worked a lot with his uh, the actors that he met through theater, and I think there was a great... In as much as there is a combustibility in his love relationships that we can feel from the film, you can also feel the camaraderie of the actors who, you know, that they're just doing one take of each thing, and they're so so incredible. Like, and and their choreography, their movements, they're like a well-oiled machine. I have a feeling there's, I have a feeling I get the feeling there was a carnival-like atmosphere. He could galvanize and bring together his sort of team of people to like come in make this incredible film so there's a sort of um yeah it's it's it's, uh there's upheaval but there's also good team team play uh together teamwork yeah yeah it's a it's a repertory company i mean it it does feel like that Mm -hmm. and this actually kind of brings me to the the final question on the podcast which is is there anything of the film that you have 
borrowed or lifted or stolen or absorbed into your own creative DNA? Well, I mean, I, I love this movie and I have loved it ever since I've seen it. And there's a quality of, I, I am aware that he works with people that he has relationships with through theater and so forth. There's an idiosyncratic perspective and a kind of audacity and a um, very personal, um, intimate uh, conflicts that he is so attracted to. Um, there's an outsider quality. I feel like, you know, um, I f- feel like having read a, bit, a little bit about his upbringing, I, th- I think he was quite um, removed from his biological parents who really didn't show a lot of care for him. So he seems to be asserting his stories from a place of alienation and uh, wish for connection. And I think those are hallmarks as well as what drives many of my stories. Um, and uh, I think a lot of his, his, his stories are strange love stories, too. They're complicated and conflicting love stories. And that, that is kind of the area of my interest as well. Um, and uh, I don't think I've lifted anything in particular from his films, but there is a spirit that I feel in com- a camaraderie. Mm. And I just discovered last night that we both shared the same birth date, so we're the, oh, both yeah. the same sign. Interesting. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, there is something that deeply resonates um, to with me to uh, around Fassbinder's work and persona and stories and um, uh, challenging behavior, warts and all, yeah. uh, that I feel I can identify with. And I think, yeah, some, something around there. Maybe it's like it's not anything directly that I've lifted, but just kind of a resonant feeling. Okay. There is a moment in uh, Octavio is Dead where a character's life is changed because she goes into a bar. And I, I, when you suggested Ali, I thought, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. The, 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 the use of that location as a place where people can be themselves and then discover one another mm. seemed like a, a motif that might have been a common. I mean, there's a, a kind direct- of aesthetic mm. kind of quality now that you mention it in terms of the the men's bar that that uh, Tyler goes to. Mm. There's a kind of similar fast bender feeling, but there's also sort of a Gainsbourg quality in the kind of mad- weird idiosyncratic, yeah. like what world is this from? Right. Uh, quality of that space. Um, magic quality of that space um, and certainly the people that in, uh, inhabit that space I could see also residing in a in a Fassbinder yeah, type of movie they're a little well they're a lot larger than life but there's also a sense of um, this grotesqueness but yeah, humanity but respect for their choices right like yeah. everybody's doing the thing they want to do mm-hmm. um, and the thing about all of your films uh, is that the, um, they do the same thing that Fassbinder does, which is that they see characters. They let people be themselves in all of their imperfections, but also in all of their weird little wonderful qualities. Mm-hmm. And and Octavio is about someone learning to see herself at the same time. So, you know, yeah, I don't know that the two line up exactly, but there's definitely a sense of, of revelation and discovery. And I think there is, uh, yeah, you're right. People stand by what they say. You know, there's a boldness. There's a boldness to their actions and choices, or um, inaction, inaction. Sure. Yeah. Um, and and specifically the actors that like that I cast, Rosanna Arquette, um, Raúl Trujillo. These are people. These are actors that make bold choices and radically different things they do from take to take. Mm-hmm. These are people that do not kind of hold back. So there's a kind of like 
they're 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 going to be bold. They're going to make bold choices, and this is the stories are they there there is a quality of, there is a bold quality to them. Yeah, and an honesty that maybe someone else might not have pushed for, which again makes me think about what Fassbender does. And for for lack of a better term, he lets he lets his stories breathe, mm-hmm. right? And and even when people are suffocating, we can still see them breathing. And kind of with without judgment as well. Mm-hmm. They kind of make these completely flawed decisions. Oh, yeah. And then they, <laughs> you know, there are the consequences of those. And sometimes surprising consequences. Um, yeah, but to... At the same time, I feel like he is leading us. There is a kind of moral sense to his storytelling. But it, within the actual telling of it, he allows there for it to be gray gray areas. I I particularly love the ending. I love the ending that he doesn't necessarily tie things in a bow, and yet he doesn't let things like rot in hell either. He kind of finds this place of a half-smile, but uncertainty for the future. Yeah, I'm always surprised by that ending. I think I've seen the film four times now, and each time it's like, oh, that's right, it just stops here. It doesn't it doesn't go on. And what's amazing is I watched the trailer for the first time in a long, long time. And that shot is in the trailer. That that last shot of the two of them in the hospital with the window. It's so odd to include that image as a way of selling that film. Because it just says something terrible is going to happen to one of these characters. And now they're in the hospital. And that's that's where the film ends. That's where <laughs> the trailer ends. It's just you're selling creepy medical uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. But he's not dead. There's mm-hmm. still hope. Yeah. And yeah, that's a good way to go. Yeah. My thanks to Sukian Lee, whose new feature film Octavio is Dead opens in Toronto and Regina this Friday, June 22nd, and will be rolling out across Canada over the rest of the summer. You should also check out the latest season of Sleepover on your favorite podcast app. The new cycle of episodes, Native Child and the Full Moon, is just terrific. You can find Sukian on Twitter at Sukian Lee, all one word, and you can find Ali Fear Eats the Soul on Blu-ray and DVD from the Criterion Collection. That same excellent restoration is also streaming on Filmstruck in the U.S. and Canopy in Canada. It's also available on iTunes. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review up on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever, it would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It really does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.